You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havelock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, the push for short position transparency, a new breed of corporate access platform, and getting to know the Moscow Stock Exchange. Welcome back to the Ticker Podcast. It's our weekly roundup of the top news and headlines from around the world of investor relations. We are back and huddled up for warmth in the pod studios uh, with Tim Hume and Condice de and Garnet Roach. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Lariet. Kicking off with a Russian greeting and the news this week that the Royal Bank of Scotland has signed up to use Facebook at Work, an experimental version of the social network uh, for corporate use. Uh, its interface is a lot like the personal version that we all know and love and have poked people on many times before, but it lacks ads and doesn't collect user data. The corporate version is currently free, but the company plans to start adding new features and charging premium subscription rates, as you might expect. But yeah, RBS plans to roll out compulsory internal use of the social network to 30,000 employees by March and its whole 100,000-strong workforce by the end of the year, with the goal to encourage collaboration and speed up internal comms and potentially probably play Farmville against your work colleagues while no one's trying to see. The SEC has deemed Facebook a suitable channel for companies to communicate with investors, and the platform is increasingly being used as part of professional communications. So is this the next stop for IR? Facebook disclosure, uh, particularly after, for example, with Goldman Sachs' disclosure changes this week, or is it another false dawn? Is it going to be another Pinterest for investors? That investor, that idea I had that never, ever took off. What do you reckon, guys? Are you going to be checking out Facebook for latest investor news? I'm pretty rubbish with Facebook just in my general life. Um, I have no wall and I don't talk to anybody and I don't let anybody tag me. So um, nobody wants to be my friend. Um, I think I'd probably be even better at work. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say maybe you're the perfect candidate for Facebook <laughs> yeah. at work then. Yeah, I think it's like it's the um, it's just Facebook's getting less and less cool, isn't it? I mean, like a few years ago, like everyone's parents got on it. Oh gosh, and it yeah. became a place where like all of your relatives could see what you're up to and you had to start worrying about it in that respect. And now it's extending into work and it's becoming like an extension of your work social life. What kind of photos would you share? Like, I mean, none of the ones that I've got on there already. That's very, for sure. very <laughs> serious pictures of uh, the, the podcast studio. I mean, yeah. what else? Yeah, just a weekly update. Happens? Another picture from, from the, uh, the ticker studio. Oh, well, otherwise, I'm just going to be like me, a Facebook phobic. Never been on there. <laughs> never will. Never been even on there, let alone have a profile. You've never, never nope. even had a look at someone else's. Well... Not so good for RBS, but maybe maybe we'll see it soon. Uh, And like I say, particularly uh, heralded by some recent changes in the IR world where more and more social networks are being used, you know, to quite interesting ends. We obviously had the Goldman Sachs disclosure we talked about last week. And Tim, I think you discovered another little social network use this week in your news gathering. Yes, well, it's not a new thing, but uh, Twitter had its uh, Q3 results this week. And for the second time, they used Periscope to stream their results. Periscope is an app which allows you to stream video from anywhere using your phone. And we've talked about it a bit on the pod before, I think. Um, And Twitter acquired Periscope earlier this year and then used it, first of all, for its Q2 results. But then they used it again this week. They started off the results with a bit of an office tour with the phone and then went through and then recorded all of the uh, the results as they were going on. Unfortunately, it didn't really help uh, the company's performance on the stock market, though. Um, uh, Their sort of financial performance and forecast didn't go down very well and the uh, stock crashed 10%. Oh, not so good. Is this live streaming stuff the start of a trend? Because I, I remember speaking to Patrick Kiss of uh, Deutsche Euroshop about doing the same thing for their AGM. I think we, we have seen video being used a bit more for earnings. We've seen companies like Yahoo and Netflix do video earnings over the last couple of years. And then with Periscope, it's very easy for anybody who wants to to like pick up their phone and, and stick a stream online. 
Um, I'm not sure if this is going to be a big trend, though. I think it, it's quite um, it puts an, an additional layer of pressure on companies uh, when they're doing their results to have to be on camera as well as talking over the phone about their results. Another thing is that Twitter obviously owns Periscope, and so it wants to show off its technology. I mean, this is the kind of thing you see with tech companies in IR quite a lot. Um, you know, for a couple of quarters, they might try something out, which is like a new product they've developed. I remember when Google developed a, a moderator app, which allowed you to submit questions and then other people could vote on the most popular question. And so they used that in their conference call a couple of times. It was quite a fun thing to do, but, you know, they decided it wasn't actually that effective in terms of an investor relations tool. And so they stopped after a short while. So does that mean that we're not going to see Periscope in the podcast studio anytime soon? I don't know. How does everyone feel about that, live streaming the uh, the pod? I feel like I rely rather heavily on um, Laurie's excellent editing skills. <laughs> um, I don't think I, think I want to be live streamed. I think I also rely quite heavily on this being an audio-only format. Mm. I think as soon as I was... <laughs> we're like most public companies. We're like, we're sticking with audio. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Face for radio. And what else has been going on in the US market, Tim, as you've had your, your eyes fixed on them? Yeah, one of the things I wanted to uh, pick out was a, a letter that's been written by the New York Stock Exchange, along with uh, NERI, the National Investor Relations Institute, uh, to the SEC, asking them to get hedge funds to reveal their short positions. The letter says the exchange and the institute would like to see more light brought to this less transparent part of the market and wants to see short positions treated a bit more like long positions when it comes to reporting. It's just not something that uh, companies in America already do then compared to you know, their European counterparts. Well, in the, in the US, brokers estimate the uh, short positions on, on stocks and hedge funds can pay or anyone can pay to get access to that in a timely fashion. That information is also reported on a couple of weeks li- later. But it's, it's totally different to the European uh, Union, where since 2012, after the sort of financial crisis and they brought out a load of regulation, one of the things they brought in was that hedge funds would have to report their short positions so if they have a short position of 0.2% in a stock, they have to tell the National Stock Exchange about that. And if it goes up to 0.5%, they have to reveal that to everyone. And so this is a, an attempt by the New York Stock Exchange to try and bring the US a bit more in line with what's happening in Europe. That sounds like quite a good idea for investor relations, potentially. Yes, uh, yeah, for IROs, it can, of course, be very useful to know how much uh, short interest there is in their stock. And uh, secondly, which funds in particular are shorting them, you know, if you're going into a meeting you can get an idea of how they feel about uh, your story and, and what sort of bets they're taking on your company. Uh, investors, on the other hand, argue that you know, if you ask them to reveal too much information, of course, that takes away their ability to actually be effective investors to get an edge on other investors. And that can also create a market where everyone's copying each other. Then that can make the stock market a lot more volatile, potentially, with everyone uh, following a downward plunge or you know, an upward spike. Bit of a lemmings situation, potentially. Absolutely. But I think, I think, you know, most people accept that, you know, seeing as investors have to reveal their long positions to a certain extent, surely they should have to ex- reveal their short positions to a certain extent as well. You know, there is some sort of disclosure would make sense. Well, it is interesting you mentioned stock market volatility, Tim, because we're going to move on to an area of the world which has traditionally been, I think that's fair to say, traditionally been known for a bit of a, an up and down in stock market quantities. You have been looking into the Moscow Stock Exchange, and I believe you've chatted to one of their executives. Yes, I interviewed uh, Yevgeny Fetisov. He's the, the CFO of uh, Moscow Exchange. He used to work at a, a private equity firm called uh, Da Vinci Capital, and he joined Moex in 2013, just before it went public, uh, to set up the R function, among other things. How are things at the Moscow Exchange at the moment? Well, he says it um, hasn't been a great year for IPOs, um, although they did uh, have two listings and they have a few more in the pipeline. And he also says um, there's been some good activity on the fixed income side. And this is off the back of quite a few changes at the exchange recently. Yes, well, first of all, the two Russian exchanges, RTS and MySex, merged in 2011. 
And with that, new laws have been introduced for clearing, insider trading, and uh, listing requirements. There's been a migration to uh, T plus 2 settlements and equities, the creation of a central securities depository, and the introduction of uh, centralized clearing. There's also a new corporate governance code, which was uh, developed with the OECD and um, the EBRD. Fetisov points out that since these reforms, there's been an increase in uh, locally traded shares, whereas before there were more Russian flows coming to London, for example, than to Russia. Now this is apparently reversing. In order to uh, avoid volatility, Fetisov believes the exchange needs to build a longer-term local investor base with both institutional and retail shareholders. And uh, actually there's been a, an interesting development. This year we have, uh, uh, Russia has introduced individual investment accounts, it's uh, something similar to 401k in the US, or I, I think it's called IRA in the UK. So it's, it, it's something which allows Russian individuals to actually get tax benefits uh, when they invest into the securities and hold them for more than three years. So uh, this year alone we've seen 50,000 accounts being opened. We, the, the industry estimates that by 2020 there'll be about 500,000 with the assets of uh, over 1 trillion rubles. We think this is a very positive development for, for this market. And as far as being a listed company goes, how has Merck's been doing in that respect? Well, not too bad given the circumstances. Um, their share price has gone up from 55 rubles when they were listed to uh, 85 rubles. And Fitisaf explains that their free float is more than 50%, so there's no uh, majority shareholder. And uh, they have about 400 institutional investors on their register, so that's a pretty diverse um, shareholder base. He also says the, they're very active at their roadshow program, and they do at least two non-deal roadshows a year with four or five visits to New York and London, and more than 200 investor meetings a year. And what does he find investors and analysts are keen to talk about? Well, one thing they've been asking a lot about is their um, centralized risk management clearing system. Uh, there is one thing which uh, distinguishes uh, us as a business from others, that we have a centralized risk management clearing. So other exchanges either don't have that within their group or they don't have they have a two-tier clearing system which means that they also have clearing banks working with them given that we have centralized risk management we actually collect a lot of clients collateral and we get a lot of interesting and this is something which some of the investors uh, don't understand from the very beginning that's a, one of the most frequently asked questions during our investor meetings and that was Evgeny Fetisov, the CFO of Moscow Exchange. I really hope that we might get an invite one day over to Russia. I'd love to visit. You've been there before. You worked there, Condice, for a while. Yeah, lived there for three years. I had an invite, but unfortunately, um, I'm no longer going. Well, you've been blacklisted or you're, you're not allowed to go? <laughs> no, that sounds much more exciting than the reality. <laughs> no, the, uh, the conference wasn't going ahead. so No visa issues. No, vi- no visa issues. No, no. Well, there's always, there's always next year. Um, Garnet, what have you been looking into this week? I believe it is a corporate access platform that promises to buck the trend a little bit. Yeah, I've been having a chat with um, a company called Meetle, uh, one of these new alternative corporate access platforms that have been launched over the last couple of years. So are they a new company then? Uh, not really, actually. Um, Meetle launched in 2012, but when we profiled a number of these um, firms last year, such as Corporate Access net corporate access network from phoenix ir we convene and engage meter was actually in the process of being bought by glass lewis Catherine rabin ceo of glass lewis said at the time that meter was disruptive to the status quo and quote beneficial to the entire investment chain and to give you a bit of background the san francisco headquartered firm had a west coast focus to start with but soon expanded it held its first non-deal roadshow for a foreign company, a Chinese firm, in August 2013, its first for a large cap, an oil company, in November that same year, and launched Metal Europe in July 2014 before being acquired by Glass Lewis two months later. 
I spoke to Jeffrey Tharg, co-founder and CEO, about what Meetle has to offer. And he says that the size and diversity of the user base is one advantage for the company. He says, quote, currently over 600 firms are live on the platform, including broad corporate representation across market caps and geographies, and a variety of institutional investors, including asset managers, pensions and family offices. Okay, so how exactly does Metal work then? Well, according to its website, it is a browser-based software application that enables direct access and dialogue between investors and the companies that they invest in. These investors can communicate securely and privately with companies and also receive inbound meeting requests. The company adds that it offers new meeting ideas and better ways to approach the due diligence process. It says, quote, It is our hope that over time the volume and quality of meetings you experience each year will no longer be based on how much you spend in soft dollar commissions. Which, of course, leads on to one of your favourite topics, uh, new regulations dealing with these commissions. Uh, what does Jeffrey have to say about that? Oh, we all know how much I love a new <laughs> regulation. Um, and, of course, you can't have a conversation about corporate access without talking about the UK's Financial Conduct Authority and Europe's impending MIFID II regulation. Our favourite. Jeffrey says that while these regulations might not be quite finalised yet, they are already having a significant impact on the corporate access process. He says, quote, Global investors are looking to address FCA and MIFID II requirements in a manner which is clearly and demonstrably compliant, but can also support efficient, secure and cost-effective workflow for their engagement activities. And of course he adds that Metal meets these requirements, as do a number of other alternative models. And in Metal's model, who actually pays them? So when I spoke to Jeffrey, he said simply that there is no cost for institutional investors to access the network or accept meetings from companies. But I'm hoping to have some more information on the cost when the article goes live next week. So you'll all have to uh, check in on the website and have a look. You will absolutely be able to read more of that on our website, which is irmagazine.com, for all the latest articles, headlines and features. You can also follow us on Twitter at IR Magazine and uh, do make sure you subscribe to this and our other podcast, IR Magazine Asks, on SoundCloud and very soon iTunes. We're all going to disappear right now because it is our glorious leader Tim's birthday today. Happy birthday, Tim. Happy birthday, Happy Tim. Birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't at all forced. We weren't at all forced to say that, don't worry. Completely from the heart. What are you up to later? Are you going out celebrating? Um, I was supposed to be going to a gig this evening, a bit of a birthday treat mm-hmm. to see uh, Waxahachie, but unfortunately it's been cancelled. Bit of a bit of a shame. Um, so I think I'm just going to go and watch um, the new James Bond films. <laughs> I'm very excited to see the new James Bond films. So. Ah, we'll, we'll, we'll be back with a review, not only of the Bond film, but of Tim's birthday next week. Thanks all for coming and joining us again, and we will see you next time. Thank you, Laurie. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.